0: Importance for religion, but it certainly was not something to be learned and mastered. It had a feel of antiquity to it and was inextricably bound up somehow with God and church and worship. Still, I saw no reason to read it on my own or study it. Things changed drastically for me when I was a sophomore in high school. It was then that I had a born-again experience in a setting quite different from that of my home church. I was a typical fringe kid, a good student, interested and active in school sports, but not great at any of them, interested and active in social life, but not in the upper echelon of the school's popular elite. I recall feeling a kind of emptiness inside that nothing seemed to fill. Not running around with my friends, we were already into some serious social drinking at parties. Dating, beginning to enter the mysterium tremendum of the world of sex. School, I worked hard and did well but was no superstar. Work, I was a door-to-door salesman for a company that sold products for the blind. Church, I was an acolyte and pretty devout. One had to be on Sunday mornings, given everything that happened on Saturday nights. There was a kind of loneliness associated with being a young teenager, but of course I didn't realize that it was part of being a teenager. I thought there must be something missing. That's when I started attending meetings of a Campus Life Youth for Christ Club. They took place at kids' houses. The first I went to was a yard party at the home of a kid who was pretty popular and that made me think the group must be okay. The leader of the group was a twenty-something-year-old named Bruce who did this sort of thing for a living, organized Youth for Christ clubs locally, tried to convert high school kids to be born again, and then get them involved in serious Bible studies, prayer meetings, and the like. Bruce was a completely winsome personality, younger than our parents, but older and more experienced than we, with a powerful message that the void we felt inside, we were teenagers, all of us felt a void, was from not having Christ in our hearts. If we would only ask Christ in, he would enter and fill us with the joy and happiness that only the saved could know. Bruce could quote the Bible at will, and did so to an amazing degree. Given my reverence for, but ignorance of, the Bible, it all sounded completely convincing. And it was so unlike what I got at church, which involved old established ritual that seemed more geared toward old established adults than toward kids wanting fun and adventure, but who felt empty inside. To make a short story shorter, I eventually got to know Bruce, came to accept his message of salvation, asked Jesus into my heart, and had a bona fide born-again experience. I had been born for real only fifteen years earlier. But this was a new and exciting experience for me, and it got me started on a lifelong journey of faith that has taken enormous twists and turns, ending up in a dead end that proved to be in fact a new path that I have since taken, now well over thirty years later. Those of us who had these born-again experiences considered ourselves to be real Christians, as opposed to those who simply went to church as a matter of course, who did not really have Christ in their hearts and were therefore simply going through the motions with none of the reality. One of the ways we differentiated ourselves from these others was in our commitment to Bible study and prayer, especially Bible study. Bruce himself was a Bible man. He had gone to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and could quote an answer from the Bible to every question we could think of, and many we would never think of. I soon became envious of this ability to quote Scripture and got involved with Bible studies myself, learning some texts, understanding their relevance, and even memorizing the key verses. Bruce convinced me that I should consider becoming a serious Christian, and devote myself completely to the Christian faith. This meant studying Scripture full-time at Moody Bible Institute, which, among other things, would involve a drastic change of lifestyle. At Moody, there was an ethical code that students had to sign off on. No drinking, no smoking, no dancing, no card playing, no movies, and lots of Bible As we used to say, Moody Bible Institute, where Bible is our middle name. I guess I looked on it as a kind of Christian boot camp. In any event, I decided not to go half measures with my faith. I applied to Moody, got in, and went there in the fall of 1973. The Moody experience was intense. I decided to major in Bible Theology which meant taking a lot of biblical study and systematic theology courses. Only one perspective was taught in these courses, subscribed to by all the professors, they had to sign a statement, and by all the students, we did as well. The Bible is the inerrant Word of God. It contains no mistakes. It is inspired completely and, in its very words, verbal, plenary inspiration. All the courses I took presupposed and taught this perspective. Any other was taken to be misguided or even heretical. Some, I suppose, would call this brainwashing. For me... It was an enormous step up from the milk-toast view of the Bible I had had as a socializing Episcopalian in my younger youth. This was hardcore Christianity for the fully committed. There was an obvious problem, however, with the claim that the Bible was verbally inspired, down to its very words. As we learned at Moody in one of the first courses in the curriculum, we don't actually have the original writings of the New Testament. What we have are copies of these writings, made years later, in most cases many years later. Moreover, none of these copies is completely accurate, since the scribes who produced them inadvertently and or intentionally changed them in places. All scribes did this. So rather than actually having the inspired words of the autographs, that is, the originals of the Bible, what we have are the error-ridden copies of the autographs. One of the most pressing of all tasks, therefore, was to ascertain what the originals of the Bible said, given the circumstances that one, they were inspired, and two, we don't have them. I must say that many of my friends at Moody did not consider this task to be all that significant or interesting. They were happy to rest on the claim that the autographs had been inspired, and to shrug off, more or less, the problem that the autographs do not survive. For me, though, this was a compelling problem. It was the words of Scripture themselves that God had inspired. Surely we have to know what those words were if we want to know how he had communicated to us. Since the very words were his words, and having some other words, those inadvertently or intentionally created by scribes, didn't help us much if we wanted to know his words." This is what got me interested in the manuscripts of the New Testament, already as an 18-year-old. At Moody, I learned the basics of the field known as textual criticism, a technical term for the science of restoring the original words of a text from manuscripts that have altered them. But I wasn't yet equipped to engage in this study. First, I had to learn Greek the original language of the New Testament, and possibly other ancient languages such as Hebrew, the language of the Christian Old Testament, and Latin, not to mention modern European languages like German and French, in order to see what other scholars had said about such things. It was a long path ahead. At the end of my three years at Moody it was a three-year diploma. I had done well in my courses and was more serious than ever about becoming a Christian scholar. My idea at the time was that there were plenty of highly educated scholars.